Good evening, New Genesis Christian Worship Center, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. My name is Damien. It's a pleasure to be with you all once again to study the Word of God. I hope that you are excited to continue on in our Romans chapter 9 Bible study, as I am excited as well. Um, before we get started, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening for this opportunity to come together and study your word. I pray that you would give us strength. I pray that the anointing of teaching will move freely in tonight's Bible study, that you may bless us, that you may lead us into all truth. May you help our minds to be clear from any distractions. And may you speak volume in and through our life. I ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. So we're going to go ahead and dive right on in to the study of the word tonight in Romans chapter 9. Um, and like we do every week, we want to uh, do a quick recap of what we talked about on last week. So going to be working off of um, the study notes tonight. Um, but that's okay because we can still uh, study the word together. So last week we, we looked at the first five verses in Romans chapter nine. And one of the things that Paul talked about was that his conscience bear witness in his spirit. So what Paul was, what, what Paul was meaning by that statement is that everything that he spoke, everything that he taught was not based upon fabrication, but rather it was based upon the truth. Now, Paul understood that the Holy Spirit was moving and operating through him, and he spoke according to the Holy Spirit. Paul also understood that uh, Jesus Christ did appear to him, and he did have a personal encounter with Christ, and everything that he said and everything that he taught always pointed men back to Jesus and that's one of the things that we all have to understand is that when someone is preaching and, and teaching the word of God, everything is going to point back to God. It should never point back to man. It should never lift man up to a, a place that man is that's not supposed to be in. It's never supposed to, um, um, to just look favorable upon a man. But everything is supposed to be centered around Christ. Everything is supposed to point back to him. And, and, and everything is supposed to guide us to dependency upon God. And we should look at uh, what, what everyone is bringing before us as they teach. So it doesn't matter if you are a world-famous preacher with 100,000 members. What is the context or, or, or what are you preaching? What is your substance? Is everything that you're preaching um, a watered-down gospel where the truth is not being told, where you're not telling individuals that everything ab about us is, is evil, is not good, that the only way that one can be good is to have the righteousness of God imputed to them, and that is by faith in Christ. Uh, the, the message should always point us away from our flesh and ourselves to Christ. It should always be lifting about lifting up what God did for us. So Paul was saying that his conscience uh, bear witness of the fact that the statements that he was making were inspired by the Holy Spirit because if they 
originated from within himself, then it would have been accepted by the world. It would have gone along with the world. And and and, and we've talked about outliers throughout our, our Bible study um, in these series in Romans. And that's very important to understand because that helps you to really see whether or not the scripture is true. Because we, we've heard that over the years, well, how do you know the Bible is true? Uh, there's, there's so many different religions in the world and there's so many different philosophies and ideologies going on in the world. How, how is it possible that you can say the Bible is the only way? And we know that it is the only way because when you compare it to the teachings of the world, when you compare it to the other religions of the world, all of those things follow the same pattern. And that pattern is man is good and man is able to achieve the highest of highest of, of, of wisdom and knowledge and attainment of all these things within himself. And that in order to, uh, to get to that status, um, you have to do certain things. You, you, you have to uh, uh, follow these different types of rituals. All of the ideologies and philosophies and other religions of the world follow that same principle. They're built upon that same foundation, which is there's nothing uh, wrong with man within himself. And uh, when you look at the scriptures, it says the opposite, that the foundation is not man within himself, but God becoming man, the man Christ Jesus. And uh, Everything about our nature is corrupted and that we are sinners in need of a savior. That, that, that is uh, the theme of the, of the Bible, where we see God is the first cause of all things and he is moving and he is creating. And man has no part in that creative work, that man fell in the, go the garden through willful disobedience. And therefore, everything about him has become evil and wicked. And that's all that he can produce. Because even that which he thinks is good, it's still evil in the sight of God because the very nature of us all is unrighteousness. And so Paul was saying that everything that he has spoken truly has come from the Holy Spirit because look at the message that he preached. It pointed all men back to Christ. It, it, it let men know that they needed Christ, that they needed God. And Paul said that he was satisfied within himself that what he knew the Lord had gave him truly came from him. And uh, there were many people who did not agree with what Paul uh, was preaching, but he constantly testified to the fact that this gospel that he is, he is delivering did not come from him. And then he shifted to then display a... a a posture of heaviness and sorrow for his fellow countrymen because he understood that the, the, the nation of Israel had rejected Christ, had turned their backs on God. We're talking about the majority of the nation had turned their backs on God, rejected Christ, and, and was going down a path that was leading them to destruction. So Paul was saying that everything that I'm preaching to you is, is, is done so that you can accept it and turn away from the wrong path that you're heading down. 
And then Paul again was saying that this cannot come from myself because if it did, we would be in agreement. But I know that it comes from God. And he is seeing his fellow countrymen willfully go down the wrong path. And so he had a great heaviness within his heart. He, he felt this pain, he felt this sorrow, and he felt this grief. And according to the Greek text, it was as if he was in mourning. And then he said, there's a great sorrow in my heart because I'm looking at my fellow countrymen. I'm preaching, I'm teaching what God has told me to say. And I know it's based upon truth. I know this word can help you, can, can get you out of the state that you're in. And yet you're making the conscious decision to reject it. So his heart was heavy. And then he said, if it were even possible for me to trade places with my countrymen, Paul said, I will be willing to do it. He says, if it was possible that I would be accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren. And in essence, Paul was saying, if, if I can exchange my salvation and, and let that become a curse in order to save my countrymen, Paul said, I would do it. That was showing the love that he had for his people. And also shows to the sorrow that was in his heart. Uh, Paul understood that this, this thought that he was conjuring up was an impossibility. And this just, again, was pointing us to see his heart. And uh, we should have that same heart as well for our fellow uh, man, our fellow human being in this world. And then Paul began to make the statement about the Israelites to, to basically say to them, look, why are you going this direction? Because God has adopted us. We, we have seen his glory. He's given us his covenants. He's given us his law, his promises. Remember that God gave this to us first. Look at the, uh, the great privilege that we had because of the faith of one man, Abraham. And, 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 and we know through scripture that the nation of Israel was birthed forth out of the faith of Abraham. So Paul is, is basically reminding them, you know, remember where you are. Remember that we've experienced the presence of God. Remember uh, uh, where God brought us out of. So, so this, this, re this call to remembrance was for them to realize that again, number one, everything that he was saying went in line with the scriptures that they had. And number two, because it went in line with the scriptures that, that they were already given, that served as a testimony to the fact that he truly was speaking the very words of God. The very one who showed him himself to them, revealed his glory, made a covenant with them. Paul is saying, I am speaking on behalf of the same God that revealed himself to us all. And yet you're still turning away from him. And lastly, we talked about last week, Paul begins to bring out the fathers. He was essentially talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the faith of these men and their consistency and being obedient to the word of God. We know that they had their shortcomings. We know that they sinned and failed the Lord, as do all, even us who are saved. But their faith never left Jehovah. Their faith never left God. 
And these men did not willfully give up their inheritance. And so Israel was giving up their inheritance willfully by choosing not to be obedient to God. And we learned and we talked about last week that this phrase is that every, is for every generation, essentially, and that every generation must stay connected to God because if they do not, then the faith is going to waver and decrease. So what we're going to be talking about tonight, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10. And this is going to be an interesting study tonight um, because Paul, again, is still going to be talking to the nation of Israel. Now, we know that he is talking to them, but we can still glean from, you know, the application of what he is saying. And all of us really should look at the word of God as life. All of us uh, should look at the, the messenger and, and really listen carefully to the message. Is this individual pointing you back to Christ? Is this person lifting up the scripture? Is this person constantly talking about the righteousness of God? It doesn't matter if they are not, it doesn't matter if they the, if they don't have the title of a pastor or apostle. You know, all of these titles that we cling to in the church that we feel like uh, if, if you have these titles, then I have to listen to you. And then if you don't have these titles, you are essentially not worthy to be listened to. People don't come out and readily say that, but your actions actually show that. And so tonight we're going to be looking at how to do away with that type of behavior, that, that type of mindset, that you really should be listening to the message. What is being preached? What is being presented to you? And you also have to make the decision to receive the word, because if you do not receive the word, then it's not going to have any effect in your life because you do not have faith in the word. So let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter nine. Going to start reading in verse number six from the King James Version. The scripture says this, not as though the word of God has taken none effect for they all not, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Now look at what Paul is saying here. Now the first part of this phrase where Paul says, not as though the word of God has taken none effect, he is basically saying here that the word of God has not fallen on empty ground because Israel failed. Now, that's a very important thing to realize and understand. Because, see, the word of God is going to perform what God sent it out to do. The scripture tells us that. So whatever God has spoken and, 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 and whatever God has decreed, it is going to come to pass. Now, if God has called an individual to a particular place and that individual fails to do what God called him to, that does not void out and stop the plan of God. It is going to come to pass because the scripture has told us over and over again that God always has a remnant. One of the, the, one of the awesome things about studying the Old Testament is that when you see the entire nation of Israel falling down to idolatry, God said to the prophet, don't worry about it. I have 7,000 who have not bowed their knees to Baal. So God knew he was always going to have someone 
who would be obedient to his word. Now, if the majority fail to uphold uh, what God has called it to, there, that is no failure on the part of God. That is a failure on the individual. So Paul is saying here that the word of God has not fallen on empty ground because Israel failed and, we, and because God's word cannot fail. And God is not at fault for men not abiding in his word. So if you say that you, you just can't understand the word of God, if you say, I'm not going to listen to so-and-so because he doesn't have the title of bishop, you know, uh, he doesn't have the title of pastor. And then you, you realize why you're constantly failing and not seeing the word of God come to life. That, that is not the fault of God. That fault lies with you because you have failed to adhere to the word of God. You have failed to do what the scripture says and, and test and try every spirit. You have failed to uphold the calling that God has called you to. And so because you don't see it performing in your life, that does not mean that God is a failure. Because see, God's word will carry out its intended purpose. It, it's like what Christ said, if you go to a town and they don't receive you, he says, does the sand, dust the dirt off your sandals and move on. That's essentially what God is doing. He's God is continuing to move. And if you look back and you say, well, oh my gosh, you know, how, how is this possible that this didn't work out like the Bible said it does? The fault is not with God. The fault is always with man. Because God is a righteous God. We, we see, going back to Genesis, uh, I'm redoing a study in Genesis uh, because as I look at the landscape of the world today, the lawlessness, it is getting out of hand. And I, I'm going back because I, I'm looking carefully at the creative order of God. And, and as you start to break down the first chapter, the first few chapters of Genesis, and you see that God's saying all of this is good. And then you see him speaking to, to man, to Adam, telling him, Everything that you have, everything that you see, rather, is yours. You can eat up everything. God supplied everything. He says, just do not eat of this one tree. Because remember, in order to have true relationship, there must exist a decision. Don't eat of this tree. You can have everything else. You eat of this tree, and that day you're going to surely die. Just don't do it. Everything else, you have exactly what you need. So because Adam failed, was God at fault? No, he was not. Because he gave him specific instructions to say, if you do this, you're going to always experience the abundance of blessing. Because, And that's, that's the context of what he was saying. I have given you all of this for, for the tree. You can eat up every tree that you wish, except this one. Because if you eat up this one, in that day, you're going to surely die. But the everything else that you can see, as far as your eyes can see, as far as your feet will take you, he says you can eat of whatever you see, except that one. Very simple. So. 
by Adam adhering to the voice of his wife and not the voice of God, he was the one at fault. Because God supplied him with everything that he needed. Everything. And I like how the scripture says, when Adam fell, he says the earth will not give up itself anymore. It's going to be hard for you now. So that tells us that even the earth, the dry ground, freely gave up its goods to, to Adam. And yet he made the decision. So the fault was not with God because he gave him everything he needed, gave him specific instructions, walked with him. Adam heard his voice in the coolness of the day, constantly communing with him. And yet Adam made the decision. So the same thing happens today when we hold up our Bible. God has spoken in his word. He says, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. As I speak to you and lead you in all truth, through your obedience, you shall see what I have decreed. Likewise, if you disobey my voice, this is what is going to happen. So if we're walking constantly in disobedience and, and, and we're saying like, well, I'm a Christian and, and the word just isn't working for me, then that should tell you that you are walking in disobedience because the Bible has said that the word of God goes out to perform what he sent it to do. And if the almighty creator has given us a Bible to live by, and the scripture says it is for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. How is it possible then it can be wrong? How is it possible for it to fail? As long as you abide by faith, because the Bible says without faith is impossible to please him. So it is through faith in, in God that you walk, and as you're walking by faith, you will walk in obedience. And the Bible has told us obedience is better than the sacrifice. We know the context that it was speaking of in the book of Samuel. That as we walk by faith and not by sight, that's going to allow us to walk in obedience. And as we're walking in obedience and believing by faith and not of ourselves, then that which God has given will come alive because that is the order of God. The phrase, for they are not all of Israel, which are of Israel, means there is no such thing as a national salvation. In other words, one is not saved simply because he's an Israelite. The same idea exists today where many people believe they are saved because they say they are a Christian and a believer in God. This is extremely important. That's why Jesus said, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have I prophesied and done these wonderful works in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's why also the scripture says that there are some who have the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. You can sit around and confess all day long 
that yes, I believe that God exists in all of these different things, but if your heart has not been circumcised, which means that if you have not truly accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, which gives you the experience of the new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if that has not happened to you, if you have not been transformed and renewed, if you have not turned away from a lifestyle of unrighteousness, it does not matter if you say, I believe in God, or yeah, I believe Jesus exists. If there has not been a change of heart, you are not of God. You are not saved. And so Paul brings this out because many were saying like, hey, yes, I'm a true Israelite. And in fact, they were not because they had rejected God. They had rejected the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had rejected the living God, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh. So in the eyes of God, he was like, you, you do not belong to me. Look back in the Old Testament when Israel kept repeating over and over idolatry. God said, I'm going to divorce you. I've been giving you a writ of divorcement because you have lied in bed with another. You are a fornicator. You have broken the covenant through your idolatrous ways, through your unrighteous ways. You have made the decision to turn away from me and go and serve other gods. You have chosen to break the first commandment. So he says, I'm giving you a writ of divorce. And we saw the entire nation crumble, but yet there were still just a few that God still called his own, but the nation as a whole crumbled. And, and, and that's, what, that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying like, listen, I have mourned over you all. I have told you or, or given you information about our forefathers. I have brought that back to your forefront. I have told you repeatedly that this gospel that I'm preaching did not come from my own. I know it came from the Holy Spirit because it is lining up with scripture. And yet you stand here and, and, and you make an accusation that the word of God, it just doesn't work. But yet you call yourself an Israelite. He's like, no, you have chosen to go this path of unrighteousness. And, and, and this goes for the church today. It, people think that I can go to church on Sunday like they're doing God a favor and go out and live however it is that they want to live. But because they go to church on Sunday, they feel that when their life is over, that they should go to heaven. There are so many people today who are professing Christians. I was, I was just thinking about this uh, last week when we had an opportunity to go out uh, with one of me, one of Kathy's co-workers and, uh, and we were discussing some things and, and, and you know, they have an individual on their job who's in a, a, a different lifestyle. And I remember that brought me back to years, years ago on my job where I had, I was faced with the same situation where individual was living an alternative lifestyle 
And there were there were so many people were wanting uh, uh, me to call this individual what he perceived himself to be. And I would not compromise. And they all started yelling at me and they was like, well, we're all Christians too. So how is it that, you know, you refuse to go along with what this person wishes? And I remember telling them, I said, how can you be a Christian and uphold unrighteousness and then turn around with such anger and hatred towards me, call me all kind of names and then turn around and say that we're serving the same God? I said, no, you're not. And, and I told them, I said, don't, don't play this Christian card with me. And, and, and that's, that, that's unfortunate because a lot of the people who go to church are that way. And you say, well, how can you say that? Well, over the years, you can just look at the state of the church. You can look at what people are preaching. Go to any YouTube channel, go to any Facebook page, turn to any of these Christian networks. Look at what look at how people respond to events in the world today. When you go to forums and news, go to these news websites and and, and and look what people are professing. Look at some of the surveys that come out. Look just in your community, the people that you interact with. Over time, you can get an idea of the state of the church. Look at how the Bible is viewed in the nation. Look at how people speak negatively about Christianity, true biblical teaching. Look at how People say all these different things about unrighteousness. Look at how you turn on the TV and you see multiple churches agreeing with evil, calling evil good and good evil. Look at the compromise that we see on a national scale from our largest churches in this country. Look at the community level. When you go out in community events and you see these churches there, talk to people, get an idea of what they believe in. Talk to those people that you interact with, especially those who are, you know for a fact, are living an unrighteous lifestyle. And then they turn around and they say, I go to such and such church. I've been there. This is how you can get an idea as to the state of the church. And like I have here, you must confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and truly experience a new birth according to John chapter three. So the Jews believed in a multitude of things that proved their salvation and physical circumcision was one of them. So as you can, as you can see here, there is nothing new under the sun, right? Everything is, is repeating itself. So people thought in Paul's day that if I was circumcised and I did X, Y, and Z, that they were being accepted by God. 
and it didn't matter what they did. Same today, because the Bible said in the last days, there shall be a departing from the faith. Again, you could just do the things that I've outlined on the national scale and even on the worldwide scale. Talk to people. And, and you'll see that, they, that if everyone will say, I'm a good person or I, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Right. You know, I believe that there is a God, I, you know, I, yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. But, you know, I believe that you get to heaven by just being a good person, you know, all of these different things, but no change of heart. And this is the argument that scripture is making. Verse seven, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now, the reason why Paul brings this out is it follows the same idea of the verse that we just read. But I'm going to read this paragraph here to bring more context to it. The idea is that the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never once imply that all who are simply born after the lineage of Abraham would automatically receive the spiritual inheritance, regardless if they believe Jehovah or not. There has always been a distinction. I want you to, to listen carefully to this. One could not claim Abraham to be their father, spiritually speaking, if they did not exhibit faith in Jehovah as he did. They may be physically his descendant, but they cannot truly be called a child of his because of their willful spiritual blindness. This is the same today as it relates to salvation in Christ. You cannot go to church every single week, attend Bible study, and say, just because you do those two things, you're saved, you're good, and live how you want to live with no regard to living a righteous life, no regard to abiding in the Holy Spirit, no regard to being in Christ, no regard to having the mind of Christ, no regard to to, to, to live in a holy and righteous life, you have no regard to doing the will of God. You cannot emphatically state that you are a born-again believer if there has been no change of heart. And that's what Paul is making the argument here. He was like, and, and I can imagine how this came about because if you look at the first five verses, and him speaking the way that he did concerning his anguish and the fact that he begins to remind them of how God brought them to a place of being separated from everybody else. I can imagine, you know, the people then turning to him and saying, well, what are you talking about, Paul? We are Israelites. We are of Israel. What are you talking about? Abraham is our father. Isaac is our father. Jacob is our father. What are you talking about, Paul? I don't understand why you're in such great anguish, Paul. What do you mean we're not going down the right path? We are Israelites. We are the nation of Israel. We are God's chosen people. What are you talking about, Paul? I can imagine that type of conversation being spoken of, which more than likely led the Holy Spirit to, to, to have Paul say what he's saying right now. And then he goes in the next phrase, it says, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now it may seem harsh in his implications, but Ishmael was not the promised child, Isaac was. 
In the original promise to Abraham, the descendants of Ishmael were excluded, even though they were Abraham's son. So Paul uses now this example to show that what Ishmael represented from a spiritual standpoint is actually the works of the flesh. How do we know this? Look at what Abraham did to Hagar. God told him, look, you and Sarah are going to have this child. And it's through the seed of this child, I'm going to bring forth this nation. So Abraham hears all of this. Now, this is a man that the Bible says was, was, was called uh, righteous because he believed God. This is the very same man. But this also then shows you his human side. And so he hears this. Sarah hears this. She starts laughing. God's like, why are you laughing? She's like, you know, we're old. What are you talking about? So time goes by. And see, what ends up happening is that we hear God speaking. We see what God said. And because it doesn't happen in the, in the time frame that we want it to happen, we tend to think that, eh, God didn't really mean what he said he did. So the plan was, well, you just go ahead and just have a child with this other woman. And then we'll have the promise because she's much younger. Um, she's able to bear children. I'm too old. So we can see from a spiritual standpoint how that is a work of the flesh because you have this dialogue going on, this this plan going on where God is not involved. And because of that, that plan is destined to fail because you're going outside of the word that was given to you by God. So you try to get to the point that God said you would get to through your own means. And we know that you can only get the glory from that when you do that. So that's why from a biblical standpoint, you see the references being made to that particular incident with, with Abraham to show that that is a type of the works of the flesh, which as we've been studying, the Bible has clearly told us that can produce nothing good. So Paul said anything that comes as a result of the flesh where God has is being excluded from, he says, it cannot lead you to any promises that God has made. It cannot get you to that expected end from God. It cannot get you there. The promises, the benefits of what God said can only be received by faith. No works can get there by faith. And when we talk about works, we're talking about we're, we make a decision to do something that we're excluding God from. We're saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about, but I have all the answers. So I'm going to, I know how to get there and you don't. That's what Paul is saying. So Paul is saying, look, for all you people who are saying that you truly are the seed of Abraham from a spiritual standpoint, he's like, uh-uh, because everything that you're doing 
You're doing in the flesh. You're excluding God from the equation. And that can never lead you to the promised end that God said in his word. So all the promises are built upon faith, which is represented by Isaac. The same still holds true today in that God cannot accept anything that is not built upon faith in him. That's why Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 is there. So the descendants of Ishmael were free to be partakers of the promises, but they could only enter in by faith in Jehovah. So how do we enter into salvation? We only enter into salvation by faith in Christ. That's the only way that we enter in, is by faith in Christ. Enter into what? Salvation. That's the only way that we can be called child of God. That's the only way that we can say, we can cry out, Abba, Father. So all of this noise that you're making about, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God, but living how you want to, no. You're excluded. You are like the, the thorns and the thistles that are worthy to be tossed into the fire and burned up as to chafe. So Paul is, again, making this comparison that for anybody who says this, that they're, that they're of, of the Jewish, of the Israelites, and living how they want to, he says no. Now, verse 8 will even go further into that. Now, so this, again, before we go there, look at what Paul is preaching. So again, these things could not have come from his own mind. Because if it did, he would be right in line with them. He'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, we're all Israelites. Yeah, we can do whatever we want. But they're looking at Paul, and they don't like what he's saying. They don't like what, the way he looks. He don't have the Pharisee robe on. He don't have the Sadducee robe on. He don't have uh, the, the, the great status that a lot of them have. He don't have none of that. Count all of that is done. He come and how God has presented him. And they don't want to hear what he has to say. Verse number eight, that is they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Look at what he's saying here, the phrase. That is, they that which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. From a contextual standpoint, it is referring to Israel. But in its total application, it can be applied to all of mankind. This phrase, again, is not teaching national salvation of Israel. Abraham and Isaac are examples of a spiritual concept. And the children of the flesh means those who are trying to gain efforts of pleasing God through their own works. Again, we look at Abraham and Hagar and Sarah. I just gave that example. That's the where the majority of the world is. That's why Jesus said, why does the gate that leads to destruction? There are many that find it, but narrow is the way to life, and few find that way. So if the Bible has told us that the majority of the world falls into this paradigm, then we can look at the end of days that we're in now 
And that's how you can come to the conclusion about the state of the church. Now, the delay of the promise, child, we know did not suggest that God forgot or he didn't have the power. But rather, everything is done to bring us into total dependency upon God. So remember, the creation can never be greater than the creator. And because we are created beings, we can never be greater than God. So God, through his foreknowledge, knows exactly where we need to be in order for us to get to the point that he desires for us. Just like if you're in a classroom and you have the teacher, the teacher knows exactly what needs to be presented to the students in order for them to understand the material. You know, I've got a family member who don't believe in that concept. This person seems to think that they have all the knowledge in the world. And they have consistently failed in an academic setting. For that very reason, they truly believe that their knowledge exceeds the teacher. And it, and it is so foolish to think that you as the student who is sitting in this classroom can all of a sudden stand up and say, I can teach this better than you can. Even though this is the first time you've ever seen this subject, you think you have all the answers about that situation. That's, that's essentially what we're saying to God. And, and that's essentially what we're doing when we try to get to that get to that expected end apart from God. And Paul had to bring this out to get their attention so that they can see the error of their ways. Now, I have some more explanations written here, but I, I think that we have touched upon this enough. So uh, I'm going to move on to the next phrase. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Uses Abraham again as an example to say that one must believe God in order to see the promise. The promise for us is salvation. And all the inheritance that God said would be realized as Abraham's children. We are Abraham's children because of our faith, not in Abraham, but in Christ, who was the true promise. Christ came through the lineage of the promised seed. So a person is saved by believing in his heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God and man's redeemer, and that Christ paid our redemption on the cross. If a person accepts that and desires to give his or her life to Christ, at that moment, according to Romans 10 and 9 through 10 and verse 13, that person is saved. And we see this teaching today, and I've seen numerous YouTube videos around here that do not believe what I just said. And the reason why they don't believe what I just said is that the idea is works. So you, the majority of people who believe in this uh, uh, ideology that goes against what I've just stated, 
are no different than what Paul is saying here. That we can get to the expected end, we can get to the promise, not how God says that we can get there, but by another way. And, and that's that's an impossibility. The promise, the, in order to be the child, you have to be in, a, in one who inherits the promise. And how you get to the promise is what did God say? In terms of Israel, you have to believe in Jehovah and live like he said. Today is accepting Christ. Anything else, you cannot claim to be a child of the living God. And, and, and that's the argument that Paul is bringing here. Verse number nine, for this is the word of the promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. So we can look at the context of it to know that more than likely this was the conversation that was going on, that people were telling Paul that they were Israelites. So Paul had to make this point. The phrase, for this is the word of promise, is again speaking of the birth of Isaac. The person of Isaac did not have anything to do with one's salvation. He was just the one God had promised to play a part in the coming Christ. Again, everything was predicated upon believing God. The emphasis should always be on the promise and not the physical aspect, i.e. Isaac or Abraham. So, the context of it is, is that there is a greater one that we should be focusing on, and that's God. Doing what he said we should, what he wants us to do, believing by faith. Now, that's important because if you believe in God and by faith, truly, then everything that Paul was experiencing with the morning would not be necessary. Because everyone would be abiding in the place that God desires. And it makes everyone better off because of it. But the moment, again, you go outside what God has decreed, this is why these conversations like this are necessary. The phrase, at this time will I come and Sarah will have a son, simply goes back to what God has said. Last verse of tonight, verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. Now, I'm going to read this in its full context. The phrase, and not only this, means the following is taken directly from this Bible commentary that I was studying on the book of Acts. And this is a summation of the, of, of the interpretation of this based upon the context and what we were saying. The idea is that God did not choose Ishmael nor any of the sons of Keturah, which would yet be born, but only Isaac. And if the Jews urged that these offerings were not the sons of Sarah, but they, Israel, were, then the analogy Paul gave did not fit or apply to them. So Paul replies by pointing to Jacob. So look at the next part. The Jews were very arrogant in their statement that they were heirs of Abraham and Sarah, and therefore were automatically recipients of God's salvation and promises, regardless if they served Jehovah or not. Paul would strike down this idea of salvation simply by being of a certain nationality and who your forefathers are. Many today fall in this category in that they believe they are saved simply because they go to church every week and belong to a certain church or denomination. The reality is those who fall in this manner are operating in the same spirit that plagued the Jews concerning this topic. 
So the Jews truly had a problem with ab abiding in what God is stating. They thought that they could be heirs to the promises by going another way. So all the scripture is doing is using examples to prove the point that just because you think I should do this, I'll be a part of this, that this is going to grant me everything that God has promised and not do his way, that's foolish. And again, going back to Paul mourning over them, you can see why. Because you look at them and you're saying, and, and you can, he can see their behavior. He knows that they are forfeiting their inheritance. He knows that they have willfully turned their back on God and are going down the path of destruction. But then when he tries to get them to turn away, they then turn to him and say, what are you talking about? I'm not going to destruction. I'm an Israelite. I'm a child of God. I'm heir to all the promises. What are you talking about, Paul? So Paul now then has to bring out these verses to prove the point that they do not belong to God. And this is necessary for us today because so many are repeating the very same mistake that Israel did over 2,000 years ago. The same thing is happening again. And many are going to be surprised when they take their last breath. So it's, it's they're going to be expecting to be granted into the portals of heaven, being carried up by the angels, and yet they're going to be like the rich man in torment, wishing for just a drop of water to hit their tongue to cool them off. So this has to be stated in order that men may hear the truth and turn from their wicked ways, that the religious man may turn from their wicked ways and truly come and accept the Lord and live and walk according to what he said we should in his word. The phrase, but when, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, Paul is further pointing out the argument of the Holy Spirit. The Jews were claiming the analogy about Abraham did not apply to them because they were of the seed of Isaac and not Ishmael. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brings out Rebekah, look at this, who is the mother of Esau and Jacob. Jacob was the one accepted by God. The point of bringing out Rebekah is to show that having Abraham and Sarah as their father and mother did not within itself mean anything. And the same holds true for Isaac and Rebekah. So as the idea has already been pointed out, the Jews, or anyone for that matter, cannot be saved simply because you come from a certain lineage or because you belong to a certain group of people or because you say that I go to church every single week and, and, and all of these different things, and yet there is no change of life. It does not matter. People are trying to justify their lifestyle based upon the arguments that Paul is bringing out here. I can't tell you over the years how many people have told me 
I know I'm saved because I'm a Catholic. Or I know I'm saved because I was baptized when I was five. I know I'm saved because I've always grown up in the church. I know I'm saved because I believe that God exists. I know that I'm saved because I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I'm a good person. They put themselves in these different categories and they're trying to say, because I belong in this category, then that, then that automatically grants me access to the promises. And God is saying, no, that's not true. Because if you truly was an heir of mine, your lifestyle will be a reflection of that. Jesus made it even more plain. He says that if I am the vine and I am, and you're connected to me and I produce good fruit, he says, surely those who are connected to me should produce the same. But if you claim me to be connected to me and the fruit that you produce is not good, he says, how can you be connected to me? You're good for nothing, but worthy to be cut off and burned in the fire. And yet so many people are claiming that they are connected to Christ when in reality they are not. So when others such as myself come and bring the truth of the word, we are instantly vilified. We're instantly attacked and claiming that we are misinterpreting the scripture or inserting our own interpretation into the scripture because it does not line up with what they perceive to be correct. This is exactly what was happening to Paul. And this is exactly why these analogies have been brought out to prove the error of their ways and to prove that the scripture is true and that in order for you to experience the benefits of what God has said, you must come by faith and nothing else. John the Baptist said of this scenario, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Matthew 3, verses 8 through 9 says, And think not to say within ourselves, yourselves, we, are, we have Abraham to our father, I say unto you, that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, and we're going to close with this last point. The word says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. This is referred to that which one believes. Therefore, every tree which bring forth not fruit, which brings forth not forth good fruit, refers to true salvation, is cut down. God rejects everything that is not found within Christ. And those things are cast into the fire. So as we look at what we've studied tonight, it is so interesting that many today fall within this category. That Paul brings this out really to show them that they must turn from their way, wicked ways. And by the people claiming them to be partakers or heirs to the promises and live how they wanted to live, Paul had to set the record straight. You know, for them to reject him because of the way he preached, the way he came, the way he looked, again, many are doing that today. 
And people do not realize the spiritual decline that they are in. But we must hold fast and, and understand that we receive everything from God by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only way. And apart from him, we will not receive any good thing from God. But like we just read in that last verse, all of those things are worthy to be cut down with an axe and tossed into the fire. They're good for nothing. And, and you can look at the anguish that caused Paul, that he is seeing all of this, that my people are willfully, willfully giving up the great blessing of God. And within their own minds, they're thinking that they are right with God. So if you fall into that category, I'm telling you tonight, you are not right with God. I didn't say this. The scripture has said this. We've, we've, so, we've given many examples tonight to prove that. And that's the takeaway from tonight. All of us should examine ourselves to truly see if we are in the faith. And that if we are depending upon anything else other than Christ for our salvation, then we are in error. And we do not belong to him. And it is a grieving thing when you see that because you know that people who believe that way, they're going down the path of destruction. But thank God that he has given us another opportunity to get it right. And that's what our study has led us to tonight. So I hope that you've enjoyed tonight's study. Next week, we're going to look at Romans chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, and continuing on in our study. Here's our website. If you want to come check us out, for those who may be visiting with us, I'll go to N-U-G-E-N-C-W-C.com. That's also our Facebook page there on the screen. And if you want to get the Bible study notes that I was reading off tonight, there is our website there that I personally host myself. Um, ktwnow.org backslash book of Romans. Go there and get all of the Bible study notes for all the chapters to Romans, as well as some other uh, chapters that are there. Uh, please take advantage of that. Just download it, share it with many others, study, use it as a guide to study. Um, because we know that you can have one verse of scripture and the context of it, it's just so vast so much to it that you know it just blows your mind but at least uh it's, it's an expository um study notes so it's going verse by verse line by line precept upon precept that's the way the lord told me to to put these together and that's what i have been doing for well over 10 years now and god has blessed a many with what he has called me to do so i admonish you to take advantage of that uh just download and share with others as well and also if you have an opportunity to go visit uh the podcast that i have here i've gotten a little bit behind on uploading some videos but i'm going to get on that getting back to uh, uploading those videos because i believe it's very important to share the word as with many people as we possibly can so well that concludes our Wednesday night Bible study. I hope that you have been blessed tonight. I tell you once you start getting and studying the word, get so passionate about it because you see what God is saying to us and you know that it's life. It leads you to truth and my heart is that all will come to repentance and get to know and understand the word of God. So continue to keep doing what God has called you to do. Spread the word of God to as many people as you possibly can. 
Tell them about Christ. Tell them about the gospel of measures. Tell them about salvation and repentance, the grace and mercy of God. And I promise you, God's going to use you mightily and greatly. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for this great study in your word. I pray that something was said to bless your people. I pray that, that you would give all who are listening and watching um, this Bible study revelation, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of the Holy Scripture that you will help us to live and share this word with others, that we may show them and point them to you, O oh God. I tell you, thank you right now. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Thank you all for your attendance tonight. God willing, I'll see you back here next week. Be blessed in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen, amen, and amen.